Hi, if you're on YouTube, that's you. Um, and it's great to be thinking about donkeys this morning. But I'm going to start with something from my childhood. When I was growing up, my favourite programme was A Question of Sport. Um, a Question of Sport is a sports quiz. I don't watch it now, I have to say. But the fa- my favourite uh, round in A Question of Sport was the What Happens Next round. Do you know that round? Um, give me a nod if you know it. I want to know. So, you know, they play a bit of sports, then they stop the film, they stop the film, and then they say to the panellists, what happened next? And they have to guess, and it's normally something ridiculous or funny, certainly unexpected. Um, but let's see what it's like. So let's have a quick clip of uh, uh, what happened next. And it looks as though he's going for the green, 115 yards. Okay, so what happens next? What do you think happens next? Falls in the water? Let's see what happens next. Because this is risky. Oh! It's risky. Things in the water. Now that was a bit predictable because there was a massive great lake and he's, he's got one foot in the lake already. But normally you would have no idea what's going to happen next. It's a complete surprise. And we're going to be doing a few what happened next today, okay? So I'm going to need a little bit of audience participa- participation occasionally, but what happened next? So we're going to start with um, Palm Sunday. I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, the Jews are living back in Israel, having been uh, exiled hundreds of years before, but they're not really free because the Romans are occupying, the occupying forces, they're oppressing them. And the Jews are crying out to God, save us from Roman oppression. And over the years, over the centuries, uh, God has sent uh, a number of prophets to give them reassurance and comfort and to tell them, don't worry, I'm sending my king. And God gives a prophecy in uh, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's been lots of prophecies, that's just one of many, where God has said, don't worry, I'm going to send a king. I'm going to send an anointed king, and the word for anointed king is Messiah. I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send my representative. I'm going to come and rescue you. Now, up to now, Jesus has been very coy about who he is. He's been pretty secretive. So when, um, when, people, uh, when he heals people, he'll sometimes say to them, don't tell anybody that I've healed you. They rarely obeyed him, but nevertheless, that's what he was saying, don't tell them. His brother said to him once, you know, if you're such a big person, why don't you go to Jerusalem at the Passover and show yourself? And Jesus says, my time hasn't come. And then he slips into Jerusalem quietly. Sometimes when he exercises demons from people, the demons will shout out, I know who you are, the son of God. And Jesus says, don't, commands them, don't tell anyone. Jesus has been secretive, but there's feverish anticipation in Israel for God's anointed king, God's anointed ruler, to come and rescue them from Roman oppression. And people see the miracles and start to think, is Jesus the one? And there's anticipation and there's whispering and there's some people think he is and some people think he isn't. 
But Jesus will never answer. Sometimes they ask him and he always gives them slightly enigmatic answers. He never really tells them until today. Today, what we call Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Passover festival in Jerusalem, all good Jews are going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and Jesus is a good Jew. So he is going with his disciples from Jericho, where he happens to be, to Jerusalem. It's only a few miles. He could easily walk it. He'd have walked it many times. But he doesn't walk it this time. This time, he sends his disciples into a village called Pethphage and says, get me a couple of donkeys. And Jesus is now saying, I am that ruler. I am the Messiah. I am the divine king. I am the anointed one. Because he gets on the donkey and rides into Jerusalem. And the crowds get it. The crowds understand exactly what Jesus is saying because they've expected their Messiah to come on a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. And so they cry out, um, Hosanna, son of David. You don't call anybody son of David except the Messiah. It was a messianic title. Nobody gets called that, but they know who he is and who he's claiming to be. So they worship him as the Messiah, as the son of David. The Pharisees and the leaders of uh, the religious leaders get what Jesus is saying and they get indignant and they say, stop them doing that. And Jesus says, if I stop them doing it, um, the very stones will cry out. He, he says, have you not read that from the lips of infants and children you have ordained praise? Now we've got to stop for a minute. Jesus is taking a, a, a psalm, a prophetic word about Yahweh, about God, and applying it to himself. These lips, the children and infants were going to be giving praise to God. And Jesus is saying, when they praise me, that's okay. No wonder the religious leaders were indignant. And in case there's any doubt, we have four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're reading the account from Matthew, but in Luke's account, he gives us a detail that Matthew hasn't given us. And the detail that Luke gives us is that when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, looking over Jerusalem, he weeps with compassion. He knows what's coming. The judgment of God is coming. The, Roman, um, the Romans are going to come and destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple, which they did in AD 67. Um, and Jesus looks over Jerusalem and weeps and says, if only you had recognized the time of God's coming to you. Whoa! If only you had recognized the time of God's coming to you. When, when did God come to Jerusalem? Jesus is saying, God is coming to Jerusalem now, in my person. I am the divine ruler. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am God's representative on earth. I am God come to you. It's a huge claim, and there's no ambiguity. Let's stop the camera because Jesus has walked towards Jerusalem, he's on the donkey, the crowds are cheering him. What happens next? Well, I've, a lot of us know what happens next because we've been at Palm Sunday last year and the year before that and the year before that. But if you were a first century Jew and I went up to you and said, what's gonna happen next? This is the answer they would give. They would say, Jesus 
is going to form a military army. He's going to recruit um, all of us to fight, and I'm with him. I'll take up arms. And he's going to go to Herod's palace on the other side of Jerusalem. He's going to uh, uh, get rid of the Romans. He's going to destroy them militarily. And at last, we'll be free from Roman oppression. Not only that, the boot is going to be on the other foot. No longer will we be oppressed, but we will be in charge. We won't just be free from Roman oppression. We will be in charge of Rome, and we'll be in charge of all the nations. Because that's what happens when God comes to us. That's what they'd have said. But what does happen next? Audience participation. What happens next? Jesus has arrived at Jerusalem. We just read it. We know the answer. It's not a trick, it's not a trick question. Jesus arrives at Jerusalem. They're all cheering him. They're all saying, you are the Messiah. Hallelujah. Hosanna. What does Jesus do next? <laughs> it must be my intimidating style. Jesus could walk straight on to Herod's temp palace and sack the Romans, but he turns left, and he turns left and goes to the temple, and at the temple, he turns over all of the, the, uh, the tables of the moneylenders, and he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of robbers or a den of rebels. Jesus is saying, I am king, and you are in rebellion. I've come to the headquarters. The Jewish temple is the headquarters of God's people. And I am the king, and I am establishing my reign here. And you are in rebellion against God, so I'm overturning the tables. And you're going to do it my way, not your way. And Jesus says that to us. He says that I am the Messiah. I am God's anointed ruler. I am the divine ruler. I am God. Submit to me or crucify me. Those are the only options he gave the Jews. You couldn't, you couldn't call Jesus a good teacher. You couldn't call, call teacher a, model, a role model of servant leadership. You couldn't call God an ethical pioneer. He's either God's ruler or crucify me. And that's the challenge he gives us. I'm either your king or crucify me. We don't like the idea of submitting to anybody. We're a Western liberal society. We don't want to submit to anybody, much less authority. And Jesus says, submit to me. But Jesus says, submit to me, the gentle, lowly king who comes in on a donkey. The king who forgives your sins. The king who heals your sicknesses. The king who takes the outcast, the Samaritan woman, and makes her his first apostle. The king who rescues the woman caught in adultery who's about to be murdered and turns the tables on her accuser. The king who, in the passage that Eugenie read for us, took the lame and the blind and healed them 
Jesus did two rebellious things in the temple. He turned over the tables, but then he healed the lame and the blind. Why did he do that? Because the lame and the blind were excluded from the temple. They couldn't come in. They were unclean. And Jesus says, come to me. This is the humble servant leader who says, I am king. Make me king or crucify me. And so in one of the biggest what happened next in history, the people who were praising Jesus, who were proclaiming him their Messiah, proclaiming him the Lord, five days later are shouting, crucify him. The crowd who had said, you're going to rescue us from the Roman oppressor, went to the Roman oppressor and said, would you mind just killing Jesus for us? Jesus, the, the divine ruler, hangs on a cross, having given his life. Why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus do that? Jesus knows that what is really oppressing the Jews and the Israelites are not, is not the Roman soldiers. That's not what's really oppressing them. But it's the sin and the evil and the rebellion in their lives that's really oppressing them. So when he dies on the cross, he absorbs into his body all of their sin, all of their evil, all of their rebellion. And as he dies and is buried, he takes that sin, he takes that evil, he takes that rebellion, and he buries it with him in hell, in the grave, so that when he rises again, he rises to new life with the old sin left behind and with the invitation to us to receive the new life that he's now living. When Jesus is asked to overcome the Romans, he overcomes the Roman oppression. But he does it by absorbing their evil, absorbing their violence, absorbing their hatred into his body, dying and taking that evil and bearing it with him so that when he rises again, he is living a new resurrection life that he offers to all who look to him. He does that for Israel. He does it for the Romans. He does it for you and for me. The invitation is, I'll take your sin, I'll take your evil, I'll take your rebellion, and as I die, I'll bury it in hell. So that as I rise, you, as you look to me, you'll receive my new resurrection life, free of what oppresses us, free of what enslaves us, free of what seeks to dominate us. That's who Jesus says he is. When he got on the donkey, that's the statement he was making. Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Well, this is perhaps the most important what happens next for us now. And it's the what happens next that hasn't yet been written because it happens 
now, at quarter to 12 on Sunday the 10th of April. The what happens next is how do you respond to Jesus' claim? You might say, I don't know who, I, I, I'm not sure who Jesus is. I hear what you're saying, Andy, but I'm not sure. He's, you know, he seems like a good religious leader. I'm interested, but I'm not really sure he's all you're saying he is or all he's saying he is. I think he's just a good role model. Well, to you, I think Jesus has a gentle invitation in, in the biggest what happened next in history. Jesus, who died a broken body on the cross and was buried in ignominy, two days later rose from the dead. In a what happened next that nobody anticipated, that nobody could have predicted. And Jesus says, good men don't rise from the dead. Moral ethical leaders don't rise from the dead. Exemplar leader, uh, servant leaders don't rise from the dead. Only God rises from the dead. Only his divine ruler rises from the dead. And his invitation to you, if you're not sure who he is, is have a look at the resurrection. Those of you part of the life course will know that one of the weeks as a, uh, we look at the evidence for the resurrection, there's loads of evidence for the resurrection. It's not something you've got to put blind faith in. There's lots of evidence for it. But you might be saying, Andy, Jesus is my king. I've made him my king. And Jesus' encouragement to each of us who've made him our king is to understand how that encompasses all our lives. So Jesus, um, Jesus says, uh, well, the, the crowds did three things with Jesus when, they, when he got on the donkey. First of all, they shouted, Hosanna. And Hosanna was a, a song of praise by then, but it was also a prayer, and it literally means, God, save us. So if we're making Jesus our king, we're saying, God, save us. We go to God with our needs. We go to God with our prayers. We go to God with our desires. We go to, go to God. He is the source. He is our father. He is our brother. But it's also a song of praise, son of David, recognizing who Jesus is. So we worship. So we worship Jesus. Not just on a Sunday morning, but on a Monday morning. What are you going to be doing at 10 to 12 tomorrow morning? Worship Jesus, whatever you're doing. And then the third thing is to submit our whole lives to Jesus. As the crowd got their cloaks and they put them out in front of the donkey, um, it was a sign of submission. What's mine is yours. I'm holding nothing back. If you know the, the story, I don't know if it's historical or if it's myth, but Sir Walter Raleigh apparently did that with his cloak to allow Elizabeth I to uh, walk over a puddle. And what's Sir Walter Raleigh saying to Elizabeth I? What's mine is yours. I give you everything I have so that you don't get your feet muddy, even if it ruins my cloak. And what we're saying to Jesus is, you have everything. The story of Nita is a beautiful example of giving Jesus everything. Because I'm having a pint, I don't know if you drink pints, Nita, cocktail, whiskey. Again, what happened next? I'd have never guessed. Nita's a whiskey drinker. I'd have gone through, yeah, the whole lot before I got to whiskey. So you're having a whiskey, and I'm having a good time with my friends, but Jesus is my king. And when Jesus says to me, pray for that woman, I pray for that woman. 
It's not a, sorry, it's Saturday 11 o'clock, Lord. You're not my king at 11 o'clock on a Saturday. There's a wonderful story from Galina, who's a, a Ukrainian member of the church here. And uh, those of you who are on her prayer WhatsApp group will know this story. But she, her daughter, Eva, has come back from Ukraine to be with her in the UK. And they've been praying, and a number of us have been praying for Eva that she would get into the school of her choice. But she was number 130 on the, on the waiting list. And uh, Galena would have given this good news story if she was here today, and she's given my permission to give this story. But she, um, she was told on the day that the panel met that Eva hadn't got the school of her choice. And this is what, how Galena responded. I was sad at first, and then as I was walking to a post office this morning, I was just praying out loud to God for his perfect will. I was letting go of any of my plans or aspirations. That's the submission bit. It's the putting the coats down in front of Jesus, saying, your will be done, not mine. Just praising him for who he is and that he always knows best and maybe even needs to be in that other school. Then I felt the urge to sing my favorite, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. And we could go on. But she's praising God. Do you see what she's doing? She's worshiping God. She's, laying, she's praying. She's asking, Hosanna, save us. Save Eva, I want her to go to this school. She's praying, she's relying on God. She's then submitting to God, but what your will be done. And whatever happens, I'll worship you. And then the story goes on. Uh, it's a beautiful story. Uh, I was walking back home and guess what? I got another call from the borough just now. They said someone called them from the school and said they would have Eva. So it's a great story, it's not a promise. It's not a promise that if you do those three things, it's like a magic formula and God will give you whatever you want. Because in that case, you're king and Jesus is your servant. But Jesus invites us to submit to him because he's the gentle king, because he's the loving king, because he's the one who forgives. He's the one who heals our sicknesses and diseases. He's the one who takes our depressions He's the one who takes our tears. He's the one who takes our disappointments and turns them into good. So you might be saying, I don't know who Jesus is, I'm not sure. Jesus, I think, says, have a look at the resurrection and make up your mind. You might be saying, Jesus is my Lord, he is king. I think Jesus is saying, keep, keep praying. Keep worshipping and keep submitting daily everything to me. Well, you might be saying, Andy, I used to be like that, but it's a struggle. Life's disappointments, unanswered prayer, illness and disease that just won't go, unexpected deaths in the family, depression, tears, the disappointments of life. I'm not sure about Jesus. I don't mind coming on a Sunday. It's nice to come together and to sing and to pray. 
but I'm not sure about Monday to Saturday. I'll try to be a good person, but don't ask me to do anything more than that. To you, I think Jesus has a very gentle challenge and invitation, and that is the most extraordinary what happens, what happens next in all of the history of the cosmos. And that is that Jesus is promising that he is going to come again. That he is going to come again, and that when he comes again, he will set up his rule, his reign on earth, and all injustice will be addressed. All tears will be wiped clear. All disease, all illness will be healed. And he invites you to say, come and work with me to see this future realised now. Just as Nita did, just as Galena did, just as many of us have done in different circumstances, different times. Bringing in God's rule and reign in our homes, in our schools, in our churches, in our families, in our neighbourhoods. Jesus is saying, I am the king. Make me king of your life or crucify me. But don't just call me a good teacher or follow me on a Sunday. Give me your whole life. Give me your prayers. Give me your heart's desires. Give me your hopes and dreams. Worship me. Not because he's a dictator who needs sycophantic worship, but because he knows that we are fulfilled and blessed and perfected as we worship him. And then submit to me. Not because he's a dictator and has to have his way, but because he knows what is the right and best thing for us, better than we know. Don't take this the wrong way but you don't know what you're doing. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And I need Jesus to live the life that I want to have and that Jesus wants to have for me. The, the, the divine ruler who came and died on the cross to take all that was entrapping and oppressing me and releasing me into new life. Let's stand. Let's respond to this Jesus. Phil, I don't know if you can come and play or whoever's on keyboards might be able to. Let's just, let's just uh, respond to Jesus. Holy Spirit, please come. Please work in our hearts. Please speak to us now. Why don't you put your hands out? It's not a, it's not a magic formula, but it's just a way of saying, I submit. I want your way. If you've, never, if you've never said to Jesus that he's your king, why don't you do that now? I'm just going to pray. Why don't you just follow the prayer in your own heart and then say amen at the end. Lord Jesus, I recognize you as my king. Please will you save me. Please will you take my rubbish, my sin, and take it, absorb it on the body, on the cross. I want to live for you now, every day. If you said that prayer, just say amen.